This is Damon Albarn, and you're listening to Hallelujah Monkeys, the number one gorillas podcast in the world. to Hallelujah Monkeys for November 21st. My name is Dylan Flynn. My name is Trevor Ickrath. Dylan, Thanksgiving is this week. It is. Uh, I We're having a baby shower uh, this weekend, actually. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it should. It's like, but it's also more shit that we got to do and get ready for and plan out and run errands around. I don't know, man. Are baby showers really that fun or are they the least fun kind of party? I wouldn't want to go to one. I think we're going to do like a onesie decorating station where you can yeah. theoretically like draw a boner onto a onesie and then my child will wear that boner onesie. That's um, great. That's great. It should be, should be lovely. I kind of feel like a, a sort of a, a, I don't know, deadbeat dad of this podcast right now because sort of, things have loosened up, you know, we're like, eh, the episodes, they come out. Whenever they come out. It's it's fine. Look, we cleared like that initial run where I think we had to prove ourselves. Now we can, you know, we got, we got that Damon, we got that Damon quote at the beginning (laughs) of our show now. We can just kind of coast on that for like a hot minute, I think. That's true. We can loosen it up a little, kick the feet up a little, right? Exactly. Exactly. Except for when we have uh, entire operas to somehow unpack and then it doesn't feel a lot like I'm kicking my feet up at all. Trevor, you want to get into the news? Yeah, let's talk about what's been going on with this uh, little band that we sit down and chat about for an hour and a half every week. Gorillas. <laughs> well, you know, the phase is not in its, in its most uh, exciting uptick of activity, but I mean, there's still stuff to talk about, Trevor. Right, especially considering, you know, they're, they're trailing, trailing their shit all over Europe now. It's true. Uh, let's see. First of all, Jamie Hewlett's art book finally came out, the big hardcover one. Um, it has a whole gorilla section, but I watched like a YouTube flip through of it. And to my eye, there was nothing in that section that has not previously seen release elsewhere. Was there any material from the uh, content we're going to be talking about today? Uh, there may have been, but, but the, but the flip through that I saw did not include any. So I Man, between, know. between this and what, all the other stuff we're going to be talking to, Jamie Hewlett is on this show this week. It's true. Jamie Hewlett is a... Uh, let us never forget that he's one half of the brain trust and, uh, you know, this not being a visual medium of podcast, maybe sometimes he gets a little short change, but maybe I feel like he, we never talk about him. Maybe he gets a little short change just kind of in general, you know? Yeah. 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 He's definitely one of, he's, he's an underrated contributor to the group. Do you remember how this phase, they bring things up and then kind of never go back to them again? You know, I like, don't think gorillas has ever been guilty of that. <laughs> Well, like I'm just thinking of some examples: the cool clown clan with the robes. I'm thinking of uh, I'm thinking of the the business card that Murdoch reacts to in the strobe light video. And now, pretty much everything about the strobe light video, you mean? Yeah, pretty much. And then I, I would have also, until just now, thrown Solar Kong, the the roving uh, gorillas recording studio, into that bag. But it's actually made a couple of new appearances. Don't her. count it out yet. It's back, baby. Yeah, it was at Demon Days previously. Uh, and now it's in, showed up in Munich and Budapest. That's right. Uh, no no tracks yet. I don't know if they did any live streaming like they did last time. But so far, whatever was recorded uh, during during those shows either was deemed not good enough for a release or needs needs a little bit more time in the incubator. So we'll see. The last thing we heard from those were pretty cool. Not quite a gorilla song, but I mean, I enjoyed that thing they put out. 
yeah, it was cool. It felt like you know, in in a in a in a post humans world, the line between an unrelated group of musicians and gorillas has never been thinner. So I I encourage it. Let's get more cool pop music from. If I can talk about it on this podcast, let me at it. Yeah, bring me that content, right? Uh, they've been there to talk about some actual gorilla songs. It sounds like the Europe shows are actually getting pretty pretty buck wild. They're pulling some cool stuff out. This kind of seems to be the pattern, right? Like they get back from a little break and then they're very conservative for a while, and then. Slowly, they start to stretch and, and they start break showing out. their hand a little bit. I'm very jealous about this. They played ticker tape in Geneva and Munich. I know they played it once previously in Boston because they had Carly Simon on hand. But other right. than that, man, I love ticker tape. Absolutely, I think among the fandom, it's probably like one of the the, if not the most uh, well regarded deluxe right coda songs. Uh, Maybe in my top five on humans. Honestly, I don't know. I don't think good. about it. I don't think like, about that too. And, like, that that's not it, though, because, like, it sounds like these shows are going, like, Damon is going nuts at these things. Did you see that picture <laughs> I sent you of him in Munich performing <laughs> Feel Good Inc. with a horse head mask on? With the meme horse head mask? Yeah, I saw it. That it, boy. I Like, look, of course it's my job to read too far into everything, but do you think that, like, in order to stomach playing Feel Good Inc., a song that he doesn't seem to like very much, he needs to do silly showmanship stuff to, have, to make it fun for himself. Do you think he doesn't like Feel Good Inc.? Well, why isn't he playing it? <laughs> he did it at his live show. He didn't need to do that. That's true. Maybe he has like a complicated relationship with that song, as I guess you would when you have yeah, that song. Yeah. You know? uh, Cloud of Unknowing made a, made a debut in the encore at Hamburg. A little bit emotional, Trevor. A little bit of an emotional moment. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a Bobby Womack song. And it, we had Damon on the on the lead vocal, which a version of that existed, right? Was that from a radio show that we? I heard think it was version? from a radio session, and it's very nice. It sounds like a good, the bad, and the Queen song. It does. It definitely does. It's and got I, that. It's got that uh, uh, guitar picking pattern that Damon loves so much. I think. And I suppose Damon playing that uh, in 2017 kind of imbues it with a new level of meaning as kind of trying to live up to, to a friend of his who's no longer with him. Of course, yeah. You know, I, I still remember at, uh, what was it, Demon Days Live, him yelling, uh, this is for Bobby Womack. And just like when they did Stylo, I loved that. <laughs> yeah, it was very sweet. Yeah. They, clearly a very important man to Damon Albarn, you know. Right. But I think this might be the most important news bit of the week. Like, oh, Especially yeah, when it comes to sure. new live stuff. They played Hong Kong. Yes. Top ten on Trevor's uh, Gorilla's favorite songs of all Gorilla songs of all time, I believe. Or Trevor's not, Gorilla's. And and not only did they play it, it's looking like we're getting some closure on the whole lyrical debate. <laughs> That's true. About what exactly <laughs> what exact effect those neon lights have on Damon Albert. <laughs> well, yeah, some listeners have reached out to us saying that apparently like some some sheet music was posted maybe by one of the band members uh uh on Instagram and and visible on that piece of sheet music uh the neon lights make me come not calm eventually we're going to get a screenshot of those lyrics and when that happens <laughs> i want you to have a vindicated by dashboard confessional from the spider-man 2 soundtrack <laughs> queued up and ready to play behind me absolutely Good. i mean i don't exactly know how we're doing all these visual things on this podcast but i'll do what i can i'll okay. do what i can <laughs> okay but they played hong kong and budapest and prague and berlin and dusseldorf like it's back it's back with the that's great what were what were the arrangements like uh, damon had an acoustic guitar on uh, around his shoulders but he was kind of 
only sometimes going going back to it. Uh, it sounded like the, from the clip that I heard, I heard the zither, but it must not have been live. I can't imagine it was live. Uh, but but the the piano arrangement sounded very pretty, and Damon was kind of prowling the stage, but in like a more sweet, slow, ballady way. You know, a kind of yeah, kind of gentle prowling. It was very nice, uh, and I'm glad to see that song back. It's a fan favorite. I also, can't imagine just, hearing that song in 2017. That's that's buck wild. Well, they also kicked off one of their uh, their encores with spitting out the demons a little while back too. So it's sort of like D sides is is having its little moment. Right? It's in play. Everything's on the table. It's great. When do you think we're going to hear a G side though? I want to hear Dracula. I think Dracula is doable because uh, Mike Smith already plays the saxes on that song. I believe. Oh really? That's cool. Pretty sure. So they just so, need to get a saxophone. Exactly. I'm sure he's got one. <laughs> maybe we'll finally, maybe we'll finally get Philip Cipher back in the fold for that sweet, sweet performance of uh, either Clint Eastwood or the Sounder. Ooh, the Sounder would be the Sounder crazy. would be cool, right? I would love that. If yeah. I was at a gorilla show and they started playing the Sounder, I feel like it would take me a full 15 seconds to understand what was happening. <laughs> what if they? What if they started walking on to? Hip Albatross, wouldn't that be neat? Oh, that'd be really cool too. Get get a little bit of get a little bit of noodling from Damon. Get, get a little bit of noodling. I like it. You know, I like it. That's one of the yeah, 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 yeah. You wanna you wanna get into the round table? Yeah, uh, I guess so. Let's do it, right? Yeah, let's uh, let's take a little journey to the west. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Dylan. Yes, Trevor. It's 2004. Uh huh. A, a Chinese actor and director named, uh, I'm probably going to butcher some of these names, so apologies. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. Can we just say right here in advance, we're just going to barrel forward with our best attempt to pronounce a lot of things in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Understand so it's, that it's all wrong. It's 2004. A yeah. Chinese actor and director named uh, Chen Shizang right? decides that he wants to put on an opera, but not just any opera, an opera based on a book, but not uh. just any book. Uh-huh. No, he wants to put on an opera based on Journey to the West, yeah. a 16th century novel by Wu Shengen, and one of the four great classic works in all of Chinese literature. Yeah, Bas- basically, this guy reads this book and he's like, "Wow, this is awesome! Let's make an opera about that." But right. staging an opera is no easy task, right? So, what does this guy do? He decides. In a move that you and I and any listener of this podcast should be quite familiar with by now, he decides to <laughs> rope in a buddy of his to go in on this project together with him. Who's sure. this guy? It's Jean-Luc Choplin of the Théâtre de Châtelet, which is in Paris. Okay. So Shen goes to Jean-Luc and he's like, hey, I want to turn this book into an opera. And Jean-Luc goes, all right, well, I'll work on cooking up a script, which he does. Of course, though, you need... Uh, you need more than a script to put on an opera, right? You need some music. But right, right. To, to quote this podcast's favorite Adult Swim supervan, these guys no speak a day English. They can only do the math. <laughs> they can only do the math, sure. What I'm saying is they need someone to whip up a soundtrack for this bad boy. Right. So Choplin starts looking around for a composer, and eventually he brings his search to Alex Poots, who's the director of the Manchester International Arts Festival. The Manchester, having 
Haven't we been there before? Yeah. You see where, uh, you see where this is leading. Anyways, very famously, we were there at the opera house. Anyway, any, anyway, anyway, so Jean-Luc goes, Alex, you gotta help me. You gotta help me find somebody to write some music for this opera I'm working on. You know, I've, I've got this. I've got this Chinese actor director breathing down my neck, and I'm starting to get desperate here. To which Choplin replies, Hey, calm down. You know me. I know people. I'll find you a composer. Just uh, tell me though. What's this opera about? Well, Jean-Luc looks at him and he says, It's about a monkey. <laughs> and just like that, Shoplin remembers. He, he remembers these 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 two these two impish little these these <laughs> these two blokes who he just so happened to meet when they were interested in putting on a show in the Manchester opera scene themselves. Yeah. And he remembers that one of them had a band. And then he remembers what the name of that band was. Right. So right. he looks at John Luke and he says, I think I know just the guy. Right. And the rest <laughs> is history. Alternate take. He, he, John Luke asked him, uh, can you find somebody? And he said, do you want me to get somebody who knows how to compose an opera? Or do you want a famous person so we can make some money? <laughs> That might that 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 might have happened too. <laughs> uh, wow, that was that was like a, a, a Melvillian uh, saga that you just took me on, Trevor. <laughs> it's it, hey, we're we're talking about a 16th century work. You know, there's there's stuff to talk about here when it comes to how this thing got made. By the way, we're talking about Monkey Journey to the West, an opera that Damon Auburn soundtracked and Jamie Hewlett did art design for in 2008, seven. Uh, I believe that the stagings were were 2007 and 8, and then the album came out in 2008. Gotcha. I I searched high and low for a bootleg of the show. I really wanted to find a bootleg of the show. There's usually a pretty active, like, internet community around filming live uh, stage shows. Um, Right. I mean, like, but but this is like, you know, Damon Auburn's 2008 Monkey Opera, not like Hamilton. Yes, it is. And, And not to mention... It, it was only staged just a handful of times, man. It was total in total. I think it was staged like maybe ten times. Uh, they did it. They did it in two thousand seven and eight. Did they do it over here a little later than that? Like, yeah, it, they did a, a Lincoln Center. They did a Lincoln Center performance in twenty thirteen. Um, oh, that late? Wow, I thought it was like two thousand ten or something. With a, with a vastly different cast as well. Okay. Uh, I was very checked out to the whole project at the time, so I didn't. Oh yeah. Even, oh yeah. Was not even aware that this was happening. I got to tell you, I've never really felt less qualified to do anything than (laughs) than to provide talk about a Mandarin opera on a podcast than to provide any kind of meaningful, critical information about a Mandarin opera. But I, but but I, all I can do is speak to my personal relationship as it has evolved with this material, and and whatever shortcomings are my own, and I got to own them. But I mean, I still feel woefully incompetent that's that's how i would describe myself uh the reason we're doing this of course we're we're in the collaborator season of two or more members of gorilla's family this is the partnership this is jamie hewlett and damon albarn jamie designed the whole stage show uh and the 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 you know costumes and the backdrops and everything damon composed all of the music uh and also i think had direct input on on kind of what songs would be about although the the writer worked pretty closely with him on it um, right and depending on your definition of gorillas 
this is a gorilla's work. Because, you know, who's gorillas? It's Damon and Jamie. I mean, it's pretty damn close, right? And I think that's what they were thinking. That was their mindset. That was their their working definition for gorillas at this point in time because they wanted to market this as a gorillas project. Right. So they they said that. I guess I guess the idea is that as far as Jamie and Damon are concerned, if Jamie and Damon are making a thing, it's gorillas. Uh, as far as lawyers and <laughs> and record labels are concerned, that's not the case. And probably Murdoch Nichols, too, you know? You know how how do you Murdoch think Nichols. he would feel about that? It's, <laughs> we'll never forget, it's his band. It is his band. I wonder how they would have, like, if, if, if EMI had said, okay, uh, then this is the Gorillaz thing. Do you think that they would have tried to have been, like, N2D as as monkey and murdoch as the sand sandy the river demon no no i think this would be gorillas present and i can i can see it so clearly like a we are the dury about this where like murdoch is going like yeah you can't how do you how do you follow up the greatest album ever demon days with just another album we had to make an opera or we decided to like you know dabble in other stuff instead of just following up like you know our magnum opus noodle and russell (laughs) could like talk about how the original novel was like originally political allegory like that seems right up their alley yeah and, definitely. Uh, i think 2d would go into like he would probably talk about this um this old monkey tv show that damon and jamie actually mentioned in interviews oh, i watched a little of it this week too i watched oh, some cool of, of monkey on youtube damon and jamie were actually already familiar with the whole monkey story when they came onto the project because apparently there was this adaptation on it of it that would show on british television when they were like eleven, apparently it was like very poorly dubbed into English. I would almost describe it as like imagine imagine like the the nineteen sixty six Batman series, like that kind of very colorful, very silly vibe. And mm-hmm. it definitely is like engrossing. I was able to watch like probably a good forty minutes of clips of that thing before I was like, What am I doing? I have shit to get done. I have to go do something else. Right, so I think um, I think 2D would probably talk about watching that as a kid because that seems definitely. very 2D. Well, and I think that that was their that was Jamie and Damon's pathway into the material too. Right for our generation and the generation that follows us, obviously our pathway into this material is Dragon Ball, which is which is based off of the same legend and material. It's clearly, very influential on Dragon Ball's creator Akira Toriyama. Um and. Uh, uh, Monkey, let me give you a meta overhead, although I will kind of get each, each, with each song, I'll kind of tell you where we are in the narrative. Yeah, because even the album is kind of a very straightforward adaptation, it feels like, most pretty, of the pretty time. Pretty straightforward. I, it's a little weirdly balanced, just in terms of, like, what they spend a lot of time on versus what they kind of gloss over. Um, but, okay. but, yeah, it is, it is, they're not going crazy as far as, like, breaking from the source material. Uh, the idea is that it is about... Uh, a group of a monk and some demons who are trying to redeem themselves by uh, getting some some scriptures from India and bringing them into paradise uh, to return to the Buddha. And our title character, Monkey, is a, a, a sort of a punished for his hubris type character, uh, kind of a fearsome warrior uh, who who ran afoul of, of the Buddha and needs to prove his mettle by going on this kind of holy journey. That's not the, quite as not quite as pure hearted as Goku. No, 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 no. A little bit more flawed. Yeah. Uh, do you have some adjectives? I do. I had to pull them out right before the show. I've got um whimsical. I like that. That's good. Picaresque, if I may quote Colin Malloy in the Decemberists. Uh, picaresque meaning uh, it's like it's it relates to an episodic style of fiction dealing with the adventures of a rough and 
like usually dishonest but appealing group of heroes. Yeah, sure. Like that that's a good that's probably as close to textbook definition as you can get. I know that that's that sounds, that's what that's that's what Google says. I know that that sounds weirdly specific, but if you like look through a lot of your favorite kind of team up ragtag hero type of stories, they're all quite picaresque in a way. And this one applies both to the plot and the feeling and I think uh, Damon's uh Damon's mood going into this adventurous. Adventurous. I think that that's a that's there are parallels between this ragtag of demons and our our own <laughs> you know London duo of demons. Our boys. You know, I did a decent amount of research this this uh, this week trying to get ready for this. I guess we'll just get into it as we get into the song. If you want to just try to embark on this this journey with me let's, to the west, let's start this journey. <laughs> Okay, our first song is Monkey's World. First, um, actually, actually, before we get into the track by track, I want to talk about something that Jamie mentioned in um, this little... He mentions there's this, like, 20-minute um, National Geographic documentary about making Journey to the West, and, like, kind of half of it is Damon talking about the music, and half of it is Jamie talking about the art design. But Jamie actually mentions something very interesting about the album, and he says that this is kind of like there are two versions of Monkey. There's the yes, opera yes. that they that they created together. And then there's like the kind of post-production, like stuff that they finished up after it was already being staged, the album included. So, yeah, basically once they got it into the studio, they started to play with the material again. And that, um, that's when he says that it became like a gorilla's album. Yeah, which, which hearing that from Jamie Hewlett made it very difficult for me to shrug off the idea that we need to kind of – think very seriously about accepting Journey to the West into the canon of, of Gorilla's album. Although at one point at the very end of uh at the very end of the interview, they ask, how is Monkey relevant to Gorilla's fans? And Jamie is unable to answer the question. Well, he starts <laughs> saying he starts saying it's not, and then Damon grabs at his dick. Just just during a National Geographic documentary. And they joke around about it. And Damon's like, I wasn't able to grab it. It's fine. They're married. Oh, yeah. They're, they're for sure. They're, they're a, a deeply invested romantic couple. Grabbing also, at each other's junk on a National Geographic documentary. For sure. Perhaps being a bit ape-like in their behavior. Sure, sure. Like a couple, uh, like a couple um, uh, chimps. Yeah. Uh, this is another reason, Trevor, why I desperately wanted to find a bootleg so that I could hear those differences between the stage version of the music and the album version. But this strikes me as something that must sound a little different than it did on stage. Um, and I really like the way it sounds. Like this is one of the kind of the, one of the more pop-oriented ones. It's got a lot of builds and like climaxes and kind of more traditional vocals. Pop is an interesting uh, word to use because structurally, I don't think these songs are very pop at all. There's, there's, uh, there's one or two that are, I would there, argue. There's really, a, there's a lot of refrain, but there isn't necessarily a lot of hook or chorus or, or whatnot. Things often don't really have endings either. But the thing that I think is kind of wild is, are just these arrangements. I mean, there's, they're, they're kind of, they're blending the synth and the, the voice and then the chattering monkey sample so seamlessly that it almost feels like one continuous instrument, but it's these three very different, you know, elements and it's and it's so unusual the mel melodically it's a little bit simplistic i mean it's worth mentioning that so uh, uh fai yang who plays monkey in this thing does he doesn't sing at all on this record uh he he only kind of speaks as monkey he also doesn't really have a lot of vocals on this record usually when people are no. singing it's other characters 
typically it's someone they've encountered on the journey. Typically. Yeah, he's almost like a cipher kind of. Like he's our stand-in point of view character almost. But even outside of his kind of non-melodic delivery, the, the melodies <laughs> here aren't necessarily very complicated, but the arrangements are so interesting. And the, and the I love the little wind-up, you know, when in the middle, before it goes into the outro, it does this very Gorillaz-y sounding like wind-up thing in the yeah, middle. Yep, yep. I love the driving bass line too, that very cool, very Murdoch Nichols. Very simplistic too, uh, but, but in the- kind of a cool way. The ambience at the beginning of this track really works for me too. It the sounds drums. like a like a no like a recording or like a field recording of like a busy street kind of like you're some traffic sounds. I think it literally kind of, is. I was looking at the liner. Yeah, notes. it really feels like we're being taken out of our reality and into like monkey's world. You know, hence the track title. For sure, I think that that's totally intentional too. That's I think that's exactly what they were going for. As a matter, and of you fact. sent me the um, English lyrics to a lot of these songs. I don't have them in front of me right now. I should probably pull them up. Do you remember what um, the ones for this one are? Yeah, so it's this song is about kind of the simplicity and innocence of of life in the forest among the monkeys. Um, Monkey is hatched from his stone egg at this point in the in the opera, and. Uh, Although things in the forest are simple and, and good, he he's unsatisfied, essentially. I always saw, like, you know, because I've never seen Monkey as kind of like an innocent character. Like, the lyrics are like, what, like, what fun, life is easy or something like that. I always, like, saw that as, or I'm saying always when I, like, looked up these lyrics, like, you know, <laughs> an hour ago. Right. Um, but I, I initially read it as him, as it, like, kind of, like offering us a glimpse into like his worldview where he only lives for pleasure and like everything is about like you know self-gratification i feel that but i believe that the staging of this number anyway i believe uh is there are many monkeys in the forest so i always kind of i always kind of saw it as more describing like the natural order of things and how things are supposed to be for the monkeys but a lot of the staging is very like impressionist soleil right yeah yeah definitely i hate that shit that shit fucking creeps me out the fact that that it's hung on the jamie hewlett designs i think makes it more interesting to look at um there is a lot of cool design going on like the artwork for this i hope i like i'm sure it's in that book that just came out right because it's very cool and like i wish we had i wish we had like a graphic novel of this like even more than like a good like concert recording like i feel like a graphic novel would be sick That'd be awesome. Also, yeah. my, my, I think my actually my favorite thing about Monkey's World is after the song ends and the little the horns section. Yeah. Love it. Pretends Love to it. be monkeys, essentially. Does this little, like, it's like a tuba and a trumpet and maybe a trombone doing, doing their best attempt at, like, monkey chatter. That's really good. Really good. I really like it. It also kind of reminds me of like uh, like the national anthem by Radiohead, where it sounds like kind of all the horns have like kind of slammed into a brick wall and are a little broken now. Like there's kind of like bleeding quality to them. You mentioned Pop Trevor, and there, and I wanted to. I was trying to, as I studied these songs, think like, would I ever playlist this this one? Right? Like, could I grab this and drop it in a playlist? And I think that this one is on the on the the side of being playlistable like it would yeah be i would a, say there's a there's a handful of songs here that like i wouldn't mind just coming up on shuffle and this is definitely in that group absolutely absolutely um i don't necessarily feel the same about our next song monkeys travels No, this is really just kind of like incidental music, but you know, yeah. it's, it's cool and ominous and a little foreboding. And it's interesting because it's not really the kind of music you would attribute to like a traditional hero. So I think this was Damon kind of trying to convey that Monkey is more of like an anti-hero kind of 
he's like an edgier figure. You know, he's just kind of out to serve himself at this point. I feel that like I, I, there's there is some dialogue in this song, and I couldn't I couldn't track down a translation of it. Um, right. Sonically, it really reminds me of the Demon Days intro. The the you are now entering the harmonic realm. The way that it the stuff behind it gets kind of noisier and and more high passy and and looping with the with the kind of stately ominous delivery of that dialogue really reminds me of the Demon Days intro. Um, I don't know these these tiny snippets that happen especially up front make this thing feel a little bit less like an album like i kind of wish they had just assembled the best possible like here are all the numbers from this thing and here's our gorilla z version of it rather than using this material and then maybe put this stuff out as b-sides instead it would be a very different beast sometimes and i actually do kind of like it eventually like some kind sometimes this turns into like damon alburn's weird ambient record and yeah, there are times when that's more effective than others. Can we talk about this next one? Because I think this is one of the, my favorite examples of it. Into the Eastern Sea? I, yeah. I, I don't like that synth voice. It's too reedy. It's too Ooh. farty to me. I'm not, I'm not really into that. Ooh, we got to disagree there. I like that this is how Damon chooses to like represent the sound of like going into the, like an underwater kind of world. I feel that. Um, I much prefer its like companion track that happens later, but... I don't know. It sound, this sounds like an arpeggiator to me. Like, I'm not even sure if this melody was necessarily composed. It sounds a little bit like some notes rang through an arpeggiator. Um, but I don't know. This this doesn't... I mean, in the narrative, so Monkey's left the forest, and this is him diving into the, the eastern sea where he's going to swim down to the bottom. Um, I don't just know. For, just for S's and G's. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I think... I think in theory, what he wants is recognition and power. Like that's who his, doesn't, right? Don't we all, Trevor? Yeah, all my life I want money and power. <laughs> Respect, Respect my, my mind, or, or die from mud shower, or die from an iron rod. Which we'll, yeah, which, which we'll, we'll we're gonna we're gonna get pretty soon. <laughs> uh, but first, we got to travel into the living sea. <laughs> This is lovely. This, this is, is also lovely. in my top three. My top three are very front-loaded. This is top three for me. Uh, Zee Ling, who plays the flying fish here, almost does no wrong on this record. Um, I say almost. We'll, we'll see where maybe she got done a little dirty at one point, but I think she sings like a fucking angel. I think she's. this song is really gorgeous. It's like uh, a very peaceful lullaby. It, it does evoke a very nautical feeling, though. Like, it almost... You know what it kind of reminds me of, Trevor? Like a, like a more artistically uh, uh, elevated, like, water level of Super Mario song. Neat. A lot of this sounds <laughs> like it could be, like, N64 music or something, right? Yeah, I feel that. There, yeah. the, there's a very distinctive string instrument in this song, Trevor. It's, I believe it's called a Zhang Ruan. Uh, it sounds very cool. He's adding a lot. That that, that Zhang, Zhang Ruan player, I believe his name is Cheng Cheng Ying, and he's, he's adding quite a bit here to that arrangement. Um, can we can we take this song so, so sort of melodically up front to talk really quickly about da- how Damon wrote melodies for this opera? Right. I read it. I, I watched this in the documentary, but I, I, I don't I, feel capable of explaining it, so I'm going to leave that one to you. So I think David Albarn went slightly insane writing this opera. Like, I think there is definitely a feeling. I'd love to know what he went through in the writing because— You can what, see it in his eyes in that documentary. Something happened. What we have— what. 
our end result here is this very uneven, weird thing that was kind of not what Western audiences looking for, looking for, and not really what what uh, Eastern audiences were looking for either. Like this thing couldn't really find a home. Uh, Damon was was banging his head against the wall trying to figure out how to write in the pentatonic scale. So Chinese music, uh, at least traditionally. We know our our Western chromatic scale goes do re mi fa so la ti, and then it would resolve into another. It would endlessly resolve up into another note. That's a that's a seven note scale. That's a chromatic scale. The the Chinese pentatonic scale is five notes. So you're, you have a lot less uh, to work with and a lot bigger spaces. That's two less notes. That's two less notes. Much bigger spaces in between. Yeah. And so Damon was kind of explaining how that was so frustrating for him and he couldn't figure out how to write melodies. So then here's I'm just gonna give I'm gonna give you a direct quote and then you decide if, if David Albarn went slightly insane. Okay? Let me hear it. To the Western ear, it's five notes that seem to be very repetitive and don't go anywhere. I had a really important breakthrough where I was staring at the communist five-point star, and I put five notes from the pentatonic scale on the points of the star, and imagine what that might sound like if you started to rotate lots of these stars with these notes, but rotating at different speeds. And out of that came a number system. End quote. No further elaboration. So that's the influence of communism on this album. Damon Auburn, Antifa confirmed. <laughs> it's all starting to come into place. You know, the anti-Trump stuff. Do you remember that uh, that fun story that Carrie Levy told on the show about uh, when Damon was giving Dennis Hopper direction and he was like, just do it like Dennis Hopper. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I can do it that, right? Uh <laughs> A similar thing apparently happened to Jamie Hewlett where he was making designs for the show and, like, submitting them to the director. And then the director would just say no, but he wouldn't offer any information. Uh, and he, and he, kept, he kept submitting and then finally he was like, what am I doing wrong? What do you want that I'm not doing? He goes, I just want it to look like Jamie Hewlett art. And he goes, oh, right. <laughs> and then he said after that it became much easier. <laughs> Yeah, Jamie definitely got the easier side of the stick on this one, or the easier side of the iron Which is rod. hard to imagine, considering he had to design a full stage opera. But yes, I agree. His his side of the bargain was a little bit easier this time around. Yeah, yeah. So we're getting closer to that rod, but we got to talk to somebody first. <laughs> That's if we true. Get we got to talk to we got to talk to the Dragon King. Oh, I guess we should mention the Living Sea is like 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 it sounds. It's about the sea, these flying fish singing about all the things in the sea, and and. Uh, monkey swimming to the palace of the dragon king and then the next song brings us straight there to the palace of the dragon king for a song called the dragon king monkey shows up and he's like hey Give me something cool. Give me some cool shit. Give me some cool shit. He kind of bullies us. He does. Monkey's kind of an asshole. He's a bit of a dick. And then uh, Wang Wee is playing the Dragon King here. He's very shouty. and they're... He's, t- he's a total pushover, though. You know, if a monkey came up to me and was like, hey, give me some cool shit, I'd be like, no, get the fuck out of here. I'm a fucking Dragon King. I live under the water. <laughs> That's true. Like, what are you doing here? I'm in a crystal palace. That's cool. Do you see this place? Pretty badass. And I saw some, some of the designs for the Dragon King, the Hewlett design. They look really cool. Yeah, He's, they're using some effects here on on Dragon King's voice. I kind of dislike all of the instances of like heavy vocal effecting that are used on this album. A lot of it sounds kind of corny. It, to be honest, it just gets in the way. Like the fact that that these are often in character performances may maybe make them less pop music, less musical to the ear. But like. 
this unnecessary extra layer of, of vocal effect processing feels really unnecessary to me, Trevor. It rarely works for me, yeah. And and this is this is one instance where I'm kind of like, mm, I don't know. Da- Damon's rotating communist stars seem to have steered him a little wrong on this song, too, Trevor. Like, I think that this bass line is dumb and kind of nonsensical. I, 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 this song is really plotting. It is, right? I, I, I do kind of like when the brass kicks in and everything sounds a little bit more sinister and like yeah. the, the, there's some cool textural higher strings being played, but like it doesn't really resolve into anything and, and that vocal effect's kind of annoying. This doesn't really do anything for me. No, the English uh, the English translation of the lyrics is pretty boring too. It's He's the the Dragon King. He cares a lot about how many pounds each of these things he's given Monkey weighs. He's like, this thing's very heavy. Yeah, over and over again, we get it. But then finally, we we get that rod. Yeah, the iron rod. This is like the iron rod. I don't know, man. This is like monkey chatter. This is this is the the what's his name? Uh, is it is it uh, Fei Yang is doing like his ooh ooh ah ah stuff? Behind a very stirring and beautiful string piece, though. It sounds like he really fucking loves this rod. There's a pretty string piece here. It's a little simple. Like, it, it feels more Western than some of the other pieces on this record to me. I don't know. A little more cinematic and less opera. Yeah, uh, Monkey seems pretty happy about his weapon, though, right? He likes his, he likes his yeah. rod. Uh, he also bullies the Dragon King into giving him his clothes. Yeah, some armor, which is... You can see all the kinds of pictures of him in that armor. Um, then, then... In my favorite of this album's like little mini interludes, we have Out of the Eastern Sea, when Monkey returns to the land. I love this weird, messy little synth arpeggio. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the the music in Portal 2, when you're like sliding around on the goo. It reminds me of Into the Eastern Sea. <laughs> I like this version of it a lot better. I like the synth voice, and I like how the arpeggio is a little wonkier and a little crazier. Uh but, I, but yeah, I mean, I would almost playlist this if you wanted an interlude in, in a playlist you were making and you were doing something kind of conceptual. I could see, like, throwing this in for, for some some texture in a playlist. This is definitely at the top of my, um, at the top of my like, Damon Auburn as ambient artist definitely, definitely. selection here. I like this one a lot. Next one, though, Heavenly Peach Banquet. This is my number one on the album. Number one on the album, absolutely, in my opinion. I don't think you can argue with it. It's just a really, really pretty song. I've been, like, it's been stuck in my head all week, as a matter of Because fact. it's got a great infectious hook. Beautiful. And Zing Ling is back. This time she's playing the fairies and the, and the heavenly mother queen. And her voice is so beautiful here, I could cry. It's just, it's just, what a, what a beautiful delivery uh excellent blend of like synth and traditional instrumentation on here totally seamlessly blended and i love when the fairies do their la 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 la's it really reminds me of uh, of that uh was it mini ripperton song loving you uh la 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 anyway I love the little chattering laughter of the fairies in the background during the second verse, too. Like, this, they really, it's very visual. I really like this. I love the, the slow burn in the outro, too, like the very slow build that takes us out of it. What's happening here is so Monkey continued to swim through the air and up into heaven, I guess. Is the because idea. now he's got this rod, and he's like, yo, check out this rod. I'm really cool. He crashes the party. The, the heavenly queen of mother, or the heavenly mother queen of, of heaven or whatever, she's like, 
she's put on this banquet with these magical peaches, and if you eat one of these peaches, you'll become immortal. And he eats a bunch of peaches. Uh, when you you really only need one though, right? I mean, how immortal can you get? Well, he's a dick. He's being a dick. I guess. Maybe they were really good peaches. A gluttonous dickhead. Yeah. Uh, this is so playlistable. This is beautiful. This sounds like it. Almost the arrangements are so nice. This one sounds like it could have been on that really good Grizzly Bear record, Yellow House. For sure, I could definitely it's got that hear same that. kind of baroque quality to it. If this was a result of a number system involving rotating stars, then perhaps the number system was not all bad. Let's not. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater here. I mean, you know, famously... Sometimes you get your Dragon Kings. Sometimes you get your Heavenly Peach Banquets. It's true. Famously, Rivers Cuomo was all about this number system shit, right? He loved he loved writing formulas to make pop songs and then forcing his band to play them. And underage half-Japanese girls. But I mean, it, this is Damon as Rivers Cuomo here, using using mathematics, using formula to try to, to compose music and... Uh, I don't know if this is if this is truly a result of that number system. Maybe he's onto something. This is a very haunting, beautiful, infectious melody. Buddy Hallelujah Monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> can somebody can somebody painstakingly insert Murdoch Nichols into an episode of Happy Days for me? Is anybody going to do that? Buddy Hallelujah Monkeys. Next up is Battle into Heaven. This is where things kind of turn south. Uh, yeah, so this, the Queen Mother of Heaven is now calling on the Buddha to come and destroy Monkey for crashing her party and being a dick, essentially. Right. Uh, poor Zhang Li. She has such a pretty voice, but but they're, they've submitted her to some really nightmarish screeching on this uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean this. This sounds like everybody's everybody in heaven is fucking pissed. I mean the the strings are very ominous and kind of like uh, freaking out. There's this deep like brass sounds going on. Like somebody has like somebody has smashed the in case of dickhead monkey eating all of our immortal peaches break glass <laughs> alarm and Buddha's coming. It's very unpleasant to listen to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's it's bad to listen to. I mean, to. Zeng Li is a, is a soprano, a high soprano, and uh, when you add the weird kind of nail-on-chalkboard vocal effect that they've added here, ooh, mm-hmm. boy. It kind of sounds like when you, you know when you digitally slow a sound down and it gets that weird, like, stutter to it? It sounds a lot like that. Um, and uh, at the end, she ends with this terrible, like, screeching call out to Buddha and it's just it's oh boy it'll make you, the hair on your back of your neck stand up for sure it's rough it is rough and even like the even the arrangements here are not great those strings are kind of annihilatingly dumb and the horns are kind of annihilatingly dumb and yeah yeah I don't know you know those those Tibetan stars man <laughs> for sure I again at times it's sort of like I if they were going to gorillify some of this material, they might have gone a little further or maybe not as far in some of the directions they went. Well, you know, to quote Murdoch Nichols in every girl's interview ever, every album's got to have at least one track. It's just <laughs> totally fucking shitty, right? Yeah, I guess so, right? I, guess, yeah. I don't know if that's a direct quote. That's more of a paraphrase. Sure, sure. <laughs> Our next song is Omi Tofu. Yeah, uh, so this is when the Buddha shows up and, and brings punishment to Monkey by, by entrapping him in his giant hand uh, for his right. crimes. Uh, Amitofu is the Chinese name of the Buddha, and it means, like, boundless energy or light or something. Um, and uh, it, sounds like, it sounds like pirate chat. It sounds like a lot of mouth harp. 
Yeah. And uh, I don't love the mouth harp, but whatever. This is cute and gorilla-y, and honestly, just about anything would sound pleasant after Battle into Heaven, so... And it's only a minute long. How can you argue with that? For sure. I probably wouldn't playlist it. It's a little thin, uh, but it's cute, and, uh, and it's a weird entrance for the supreme ruler of heaven to show up to, but whatever, you know? If, if, if Buddha showed up and this was playing, I'd know I'm in trouble, though. I guess that's true. It doesn't, yeah. Does it really read as ominous, though? I'm not sure. I, th- I, th- I think you can tell that some shit's going down. Perhaps. Perhaps. But it, it is kind of cute and fun, though. I, I'll yeah. give it that. Uh, next next song, though, not quite so cute and fun. We no, got Whisper. But I kind of like this one. I think This it's, one's cool. It's very, very atmospheric, very foreboding. It sounds like it could be, like, from a challenging part of, like, one of, like, an old PlayStation Final Fantasy game. Yeah, so here's where we get one of our main characters' uh, first appearance, Guan Yin, who in, in Buddhism is like the, the goddess of mercy. Uh, and I think we we make a 500-year jump in the narrative like in the middle of the song, more or less. Which is a long-ass time for somebody to just be holding you in their hand. <laughs> for sure. I mean, but everything... They say one of the like in-jokes of Buddhism is that everything takes 10,000 years. Like... How okay. long? How long was that guy in that place? Ten thousand years. Okay, and how long did it take this person to achieve alignment? Ten thousand years. So like, there's always like massive amounts of time uh, in Buddhism. So yeah, basically Guan Yin, who's the who's the goddess of mercy, decides that she's not going to give any to monkey and that he's going to stay there. And then five hundred years later, she shows up to this monk uh, Tripitaka and then tells him that he's got to go to India and gather these holy scriptures. This is how long it's taken us, Trevor, for the journey to the West section of this to actually start. I already feel like we've been talking about this this album for ten thousand years. And we're you know already, what I mean? Yeah, and I, we're already almost to like a halfway point of this record in a way. Yeah. So so we're putting we're putting a team together. You know, Nick Fury showed up. He's like. We gotta go get some scriptures. I need our top brass on this one. Yeah, Guan Yin is the Nick Fury here. So then I guess Tripitaka is like our Captain America, and Monkey's like our Iron Man, more or less. Here, I thought I I, I feel like Monkey's more like the Hulk, you know? Oh yeah, that's a good point. He is the 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 kind of brutal beater type, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, he was kind of he feels like he's being a little more coerced into it than the rest of them kind of are. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Buddha finally opens his hand back up. Monkey gets a his first uh, fresh uh, breath air in <laughs> sure. five hundred years or whatever. Yeah, I think I feel like the, I do like this song. It's very interesting. It's like a, it's like it's got this ominous build to it, and like it's called Whisper. Uh, uh, I believe her name is Jia Ruhan is playing Guan Yin here. She'll show up again later, uh, and she delivers the whole thing in Whisper, and then it's got these like slow creeping piano scales that are getting higher and higher it sounds like both ethereal and kind of like scary at the same time uh it's not poppy at all certainly but i like this piece it feels tense it has a good deliberate build i like what gia ruhan is doing here with the whispering it's, i don't know this is cool this works for me and damon kind of um carries that tense atmosphere into ne- into uh, the next song Tripitaka's course yeah, I would say this is like a, I think Tripitaka this I think in the narrative is where Tripitaka and Monkey have have joined up I think and it's, it it just sounds it sounds a bit noisy it's a little bit noisy yeah. Strings, sounds like maybe synths. two people who don't necessarily know each other very well or even agree with each other are kind of setting out on this journey and they're not quite so sure about how it's going to go that's a good point because i mean you know a buddhist monk has a very particular way of looking at the world and it's and it really couldn't be further apart than the way that monkey looks at the world with 
violence and covet covetousness and et cetera. Did they uh did they did they give him that rod back? I believe he's got the rod. He's got the he's got, he's got, got the armor. He's ready. Gotta get that rod. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about confessions of a pig. Trevor. This one's cool. I like this. It's very interesting. So this is where we meet Pigsy. Waltz. Keja is the is the actor who plays Pigsy here. I hate his vocals. The lyrics and the translation of this song I could not find anywhere. Right. So like I've never been able to find these. What's he confessing? Well what has this pig done? I know. I happen to know. I did I did some research. all right. Let me let's solve the mystery. Let's put this together. Let's 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 put this to bed. So in countless years ago, you know, not quite a thousand, but but many, many years ago, uh Pigsy was the commander of a giant heavenly army. He was a, he was a, a man like you or me in heaven. Uh, and one night he went to a party. He got very drunk, and he tried to seduce the goddess of the moon like a pig. Hey, we've all been there. We've all been there. He's a piggish motherfucker. And so the goddess of the moon told the Jade Emperor. The Jade Emperor banished him from heaven, much like the Academy did to Harvey Weinstein for his piggish behavior. <laughs> And, uh, and he now lives on Earth as this pig demon, and, and he must live 1,000 mortal lives, Trevor, and each one will end with a love tragedy. Huh. Isn't that it's tough being a pig. brutal. It's tough, tough, tough trying to find love when you're a pig. When Pigsy sings, it doesn't make for very nice listening. But uh, Jukeja is doing some solid work here as an actor, I think, kind of imbuing this performance with pain and, and pity. Oh, yes, it's very expressive, and he delivers it very well. I just don't like the way it sounds. No, it just sounds a little weird. Uh, uh, the, I do like the weirdness of the arrangements, the weird little waltz that's, like, mostly held up by the synth. Um, the, you know, yeah, this doesn't, like, hang together as music, but it is compelling. Like, it's, it's, it's interesting to listen to. You know? Yeah, yeah, and it's nice to have one more uh, somebody else along for the ride, right? Is this our Russell surrogate? Would Russell play Pigsy in the in the version of this? Hey, where no, definitely not, because Pigsy has two whole songs all to himself. And, you <laughs> yeah, know, that's there's, true. There's no way you're going to get that much Russell. Face that's time. a good point. You make an excellent point. <laughs> I think I think I think uh, I think Noodle on 2D would probably be like, yeah, Pigsy's a little base. He's kind of based on some stuff that happened to Murdoch, and Murdoch <laughs> would be like, no way, you know. Yeah, I feel that. Uh, and then we, we, we wrap up the core members of our crew with the next track, uh, the, the titular character, Sandy the River Demon. Avengers Assembled. Uh, this is uh, He Zijun who's playing Sandy. There is not a lot to this performance, in my opinion. Um, it feels kind of inferior to the Pigsy number to me, and it, like it's retreading a lot of the same territory, but I don't know. It's a, li- yeah. a little bit forgettable, but just to catch you up on the Lord Trevor, um, Sandy was also a general. He he broke a vase that belonged to one of his heavenly superiors out of out of rage, and uh, as, his, as his penance, the Jade Emperor hit him 800 times with a rod and then sent him down to Earth where he had to be a, a river demon. How do you think? Do you think that? Do you think that rod was better than monkeys? Probably. If the monkey Jade got, Emperor monkey got his from a dragon king, I know. But the Jade Emperor lives in heaven. You got to imagine he's got like power over some shit, you know. And also, he's a bit of, like really monkey ate some fucking peaches. But this Jade Emperor seems to be a real dick. Like the, these punishments are brutal, man. Eight hundred times. That's a lot of that's a lot of lashes with a fucking rod. Yeah, yeah. 
Being a river demon, though, that sounds kind of cool, right? That sounds like a, <laughs> yeah. kind of a sick gig. You know, I'm going to start putting that on my resume. <laughs> river demon. <laughs> uh, and then comes the March of the Volunteers. I like this one. This is very jaunty. Kind of a now. Now everybody's the whole gang's together, and we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna ease on down the road. Well, you know, Damon said that he much in the way that the book was was political allegory of its time. Uh, he wanted the uh, the opera to be the same for modern day China. I think that him being an Englishman makes that a little tricky. But this is actually a blippy synthy take on the. Uh, the national anthem of the People's Republic of China of the same name. Uh, huh, okay. I want to. Here's a thought exercise, Trevor. Imagine that you were watching some kind of a weird impressionistic opera about America that was written by like a Chinese pop star, and in the middle there was a weird blippy take on the Star Spangled Banner. Like, how would that make you feel <laughs> as an American slash as an audience member? I'd be interested to see uh, the reaction, uh, what the reaction would be when we inevitably get some, like, opera performers, like, starting to kneel during it. (laughs) (laughs) What would be our equivalent? It would be like the story of Paul Bunyan (laughs) and Blue the Ox would take a knee. (laughs) That's exactly what it would be. Yeah, for sure. The only other thing I wanted to say about the March of the Volunteers is that this is like a, this is a, uh, I like the wordplay here where Trippy Taka's crew, like, technically are volunteers, but I mean, yeah. their lives all, are all so shitty that it barely seems like they have a choice here, you know? I mean, it's, if for a monkey, it's either this or getting, getting back under that, that hand. The Buddha's going <laughs> to exactly, smash you back exactly. up and hold you there. <laughs> Sounds really inconvenient, though, you know? I mean... That, that brings you down to one hand. For sure. you, you got to grab onto this other guy for 500 years. And I mean, anyway. Buddha's a gentleman of some size. I don't know if he's got anxiety problems, but that palm could get sweaty, which would be a, a, a real bummer. Maybe he uses, speaking of anxiety problems, maybe he uses monkey as like a little stress ball. You know, maybe he squeezes <laughs> him and his, his head blows up for a second. And <laughs> what a nightmare. I could, see, I could see that like on like a Jamie Hewlett storyboard or something. That sucks. Yeah, that would suck, man. That would really yeah. suck. You want to talk about this next song? Because I think it's really cool. The White Skeleton Demon. This one's cool. It's like a Dark Souls boss theme. Oh, yeah. I like that. That's a good take on it. Yeah, really I really cool. like this woodwind part. It's so mournful and, and really interesting how that melody winds together. Uh, and and the, 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 the narrative thing that's happening here, although I believe that there's not really any any vocals on this track, is that like... A demon shows up in disguise to try to eat uh, Tripitaka, and then Monkey kills the demon, and that horrifies the monk Tripitaka because he's a Buddhist monk, and uh, and he doesn't believe in that kind of violence. So he says, you're out, Monkey. I had enough of your shit. Classic personalities clashing when you get a group like this together. You know, these people weren't weren't exactly designed to work together, and, you know, it's it's no surprise that they're running into some problems. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. The way that they, I, what I assume is happening at that moment towards the end of this track, Trevor, you know, when like the, the there's like a really bludgeoning string thing that happens. It's kind of a little bit uh, Bernard Hermony where it's like, John, John, John. Like I'm assuming that's the musical uh, representation of Monkey beating up the, the or killing the white skeleton demon. Um, Dylan, it could very well be. Which, but it's, but it, I think it kind of ruins the song a little bit. Like everything that's happening up to that point in the song is like, really interesting and then that bit is kind of like all right 
Every time Monkey gets angry and beats on some shit, it gets all bum, bum, bum. I don't know. It does sound very Dark Souls, though, so I'm going to give it a pass. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Try playing this. Can, can you, is there like a, in Dark Souls, can you walk up to a little boombox and say, hey, swap out this music? Dylan, the only reason I was able to listen to this album was because I played it while <laughs> playing Dark Souls. <laughs> Trust me, it works. That's good to know. That's good to know. Should we move on to Monk Song? Let's talk about Monk's song. I don't really care about this one, though. It kind of feels like a retreading of like some stuff that earlier songs did better. I could kind of feel that. I like I like the way that it plays with the next song, but we'll get to that when we get yeah. to the next song. Um, so the, the, the Spider Woman, who is very heavily featured in the promotional imagery of this, uh, this thing. Some weird-ass, creepy Cirque du Soleil shit. For sure. Uh, so she captures Tripitaka and, and is going to kill him but monkey saves him at the nick of time and, and gets rejoined the group how lord of the rings getting captured by a big spider yeah it's very it's very what's what's that thing called sheba or something or, i don't know i don't remember uh but she's played by by ju haolu uh i don't know i think she, the vocal performance is good it's, it's she does a good job sounding kind of like otherworldly and beastly and like the indifference of nature she's just gonna suck your blood because that's what she does you know I was very excited, Trevor, to look at these liner notes, which I had a hard time tracking down because I believed the second I heard a zither, I said, oh, shit, it's going to either it's going to be right. uh, Chen Wei Man from the studio version of Hong Kong or, or Zhang Zhen from the Manchester performance. But no, it's just some other random ass Chinese zither player named Zhao Ran. Turns out more than two people know how to play the Chinese zither. But why do why why does David Alvar need to work with three different Chinese zither players? Why can't he just pick one and stick with? I, I mean, how much how much work could those people get? You know, I'm sure he wants to you know share the love. Listen, Phase Five people complained about there being no no acoustic instrumentation on humans. Phase Five. Just get all three of them, and it's all Chinese zither and Damon vocals, and then an album of Hong Kong's. I wouldn't even object. <laughs> do it. Let's do it. <laughs> they could do that little thing where they harmonize each other's melodies, like Thin Lizzy does with the electric guitars on, on oh, the boys are back in town. Avengers <laughs> Assemble. Hey, you know what I love? Buddha. Love Buddha. I love that guy. I love how this song reuses the melody from Monk Song, but now it sounds way more hopeful and like you know beautiful. Um, it also kind of restates the the waltz like thing from Confessions of a Pig, uh, and and it trades off with the noise and the melody like it did in Monkey's World. It feels like we're kind of weaving in a lot of things that we've already done but in this kind of... We've also got those kind of arpeggios from like the Eastern Sea songs. Yeah, yeah. I really think this is a masterful little piece. This is my favorite instrumental uh, track on the album and it and it, uh, it rounds out my top three I on can, the record. I could I love possibly bump uh, the Living Sea off my top three for this one, I think. I could see that happening. I dig it. I dig this one. This is... This is for sure playlistable for me. It feels gorillaz It feels like of a piece with the rest of the material on here. It, it hangs together in the Western sensibilities. I feel a little bit, like, vindicated to, to criticize some of the non-Western-y sounding shit here, because here's the thing, Trevor. You are probably the same. I was not raised in any kind of an Eastern musical tradition, so 
I can't really tell you the difference between good traditional Chinese music and bad traditional Chinese music. No, this is exact. This isn't exactly in our wheelhouse. But at the same time, Trevor, it's not in Damon Albarn's wheelhouse either. So no, I I feel like I can criticize the melody things on here that don't necessarily work because he's not he's not he doesn't know what he's doing either. So. My big aha moment this week was like, all right, if it doesn't sound right to me, it probably isn't right. It probably is a failed experiment. (laughs) Blame it on those stars. (laughs) Yeah, blame it on the stars. Blame it on the stars. Wow, that's very romantic. It is, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I Love Buddha is a great song. It's very cool. It's very cool. But uh, let's let's get into rank because we've got some marching to do next. No, yeah, we're the march of the. What's Iron going army. on by this point in the uh, story? Where the, where's this army coming from, Dylan? So, so here's where we we move into the like last section of this record, which is all about princess princess Iron Fan. Uh, so she's this princess. She has this big magical Iron Fan. She has a huge undead army of zombies, and the landscape is covered in fire. And the only way to put that fire out is to get her to let him use that fan and make one little wave with it. But she's not doing it she won't let him use it there's a very amusing um, little arc in the original dragon ball series that kind of takes a lot of cues from this one with goku having to get a fan to put out some fire march of the iron army is probably the most like explicitly musical numbery feeling song on this record would you agree with me on that like this feels like it could show up in a in a, in a traditional stage musical to me like a broadway show maybe yeah maybe it, it also is Pretty, pretty straightforward. When are we? When are we just going to get a straightforward like Broadway musical from Damon Albarn? Well, wasn't that Wonder Dot Land? No, because like he didn't really those he didn't really write the lyrics, did he? No, he composed them. Like I, what I would love to see is like a Broadway, like an across the universe style Broadway musical oh, that God, just draws on a, like not a jukebox so, musical of David yes, Albert's work. Yes, is Dylan, that a future episode? Or are we going to figure gotta out? Be a future episode. Oh God. Okay. I yeah. Swear, like I am one hundred percent certain there was a playlist on my iPod <laughs> when I was like <laughs> seventeen, and I like had a plot like paced out i wish uh-huh. i could remember but like it wouldn't have surprised me at all because like you know i'm a yeah. fucking nerd sure sure i think that that'd be a great future episode to do we should totally do that that'd yep. be really funny all like spanning all the eras of his career it'd be so good i love here's what i love about this song trevor that there is it sounds like a war march and they're holding back the percussion you're expecting this like big timpani to come in you know once the beat drops or whatever but instead it's this like it's this cute little drum machine that comes in that's like bish, bush, bish, Damon bush, loves behind, his shitty little drum machine sounds. <laughs> behind this like massive chorus of fearsome soldiers marching. It's kind of funny. Yeah, I like yeah, that. yeah. I see the vision here. I, I, I'm back on, on the same page with Damon here. I understand what he's doing. Uh, and uh, I, would, I would almost playlist this. I have a show tunes playlist, Trevor. Okay. So you said you kind of understood what Damon was going for with this one. Here's where, like the next, the next two songs, I get a little lost because you know you pick up, you pick up "Monkey Journey to the West," the soundtrack in stores, maybe, and you're looking at the track list, and all of it looks pretty, like in place, you know, like the Dragon King. Sure, I expect sure. to see that here, you know, Heavenly Peach Banquet. That sounds like something that would be in a Mandarin opera, you I know. Feel that. Sandy the River Demon, uh, White Skeleton Demon, makes sure. sense. Pigsy in space.
Yeah, that really sounds Jim Henson-y, doesn't it? What's going on here? I know what's going on here. Pigsy is very hot. He feels very warm. He's complaining <laughs> about the heat. It's. Uh, I found the translation of this. I had to dig a little bit. Uh, but yeah, the, the landscape is covered in fire, and Pigsy wants to quit because it's very hot. Uh, this strikes me as significantly more musical than Confessions of a Pig. Um, I, I quite enjoy that glissandi that's happening, and that I think that might be some kind of a key instrument. I'm not sure. Um, I like this one a lot. Why is it called Pigsy in Space? Well, I think the idea is that, like, uh, he's, he's, he's kind of lost his focus, is the idea. Pigsy in Space isn't like Pigsy spacing out. He's, he's, He's very, he's much too hot. He's no longer because you know Pigsy. He's a little lazy. That's one of his issues. No, try again. We can't. We can't sell that to the public. You got to come up with a better reason for why this one's called Pigsy in Space. I mean, he's not in space, so I don't have a better example of why that's happening. I do like this one as a song, though. It's very pretty, and it sounds like he's in space. I like that. Yeah, the little walkie-talkie crackle that keeps happening is cool. And then it's like almost like a kind of very low gravity kind of beat. Got a little heartbeat drum. Yeah, very yeah. very yeah. understated. Uh, although he's still buried behind that weird effect, I actually think Zucasia is doing some kind of lovely operatic singing here. I think that... And again, very expressive. Very expressive. Uh, the phrasing is very weird. The melody kind of stumbles and fits and starts almost the way that it did in that Dragon King song. But here here it kind of works for me. Like I can, I can feel the number system a little bit, but it's kind of working, I feel like, you know? Okay. Okay. Um, here, the st- here you might say that the stars are in our favor. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or maybe maybe they're not giving us what we expected, but we feel thankful for what we're given anyway. You know. Right. Next song, another kind of weird title, "Monkey Bee." Is he a monkey or is he well, a bee? He's a bee. In this song. I've really lost the plot he's here, Dylan. So they they can't cross over the giant undead army, Trevor, to reach Princess Iron Fan. It's there's too many soldiers, there's too much flames. What are you gonna do? And suddenly the goddess of mercy Guanyin returns and she turns Monkey into a bee so she can so that he can fly over that army and fight Princess Iron Fan. That's what's happening here. You lost me. That's what happens. Yeah. I mean Okay. It's what happens in the legend too. Somebody somebody comes comes to me. I'm I'm the god of mercy, okay? And somebody's like, Hey, we're trying to get to this we're trying to get to this fan. You know, we gotta fight this this the the person whose fan it is. But there's this giant army in our way, you know, we can't get there. Can you help us out? I'm gonna think of a billion other things before I think, Oh, I'll turn you into B. That'll work, right? Sure. I- but you know that's, you got to take that up with the original author. That's not David Alvarez. I do. I, I I do. And trust me, if he, I, I hope he's listening. Original author of Monkey Journey to the West, come be on the show for sure. For sure. Defend these artistic choices. You've Absolutely, made. and explain some of these political allegories about 16th century China that, that we. I mean, this is one of the four great novels in all of Chinese literature. This is an interesting song, though. And did you watch the music video this week? I did. It's very. It looks very stilted, and like I, I wasn't super it into it. It looks very expensive to me. It looks. It does look very expensive like how, too. There's a whole how, the the army shows up. How 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 fat and plump were we on feel good ink money that we were willing to 
throw this kind of a budget at Jamie Hewlett for the for the music video of this Mandarin Chinese opera, like, jeez Louise. I'm sure it costs more than the whole of Saturn's Bars. I'm sure it did. Didn't he also do that, um... Didn't he also do that little sh- like animated short for like the um, Olympics or something? Yeah, that was a, that was monkey related too. But I mean, Olympic money—all they do is throw money at people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they're, yeah. they break the bank over there. This is yeah. a really interesting song, Trevor. It, it, I see why it was chosen as like the the single to represent the record because it kind of like takes the most explicitly Western left turn on the record, probably when those. When those big electric guitars start coming in, um, I would agree with that. It almost—it's kind of like almost the most adventurous song here, but also at the same time not because it's got some stuff that we're familiar with. It does, it. and and uh, there's some character growth for Monkey here too. When he finally gets to Princess Iron Fan, he's like, "You could just let us borrow this fan. Like, I don't want to fight you. If you just let us borrow this fan, we'll we'll give it right back as soon as we're done." <laughs> Whereas you know, Monkey. The monkey who showed up at the Dragon King's door and demanded that that sick ass Iron Rod. He probably would have gone in guns blazing, you know, no diplomacy. You know, spending 500 years clenched in the Buddha's hand, it makes you reconsider how you're going to, you know, approach your life from then on. Let's not discount Tripitaka. I think Tripitaka imparted some of his wisdom as a monk onto, onto monkey at this point, too. You know, I think... I think he's getting it from a lot of directions, and he's finally starting to understand that maybe maybe you don't always got to bring the stick down on people when you want something, you know? Sometimes these troubled kids, they just need a couple of good influences on them. I know? really like how even though even those, those electric guitars are coming in, the chord progression does follow the Chinese pentatonic scale, which I very much appreciate. That's very funny that, like... That attention to detail of being like, okay, well, I can't just do a Western chord progression here. I gotta still, gotta still stick to my five notes. Gotta stick to my five. Gotta notes. stick to my stars. <laughs> you know, uh, Zay Ling is back here too as Princess Iron Fan from uh, from previously a Flying Fish and, and the the Queen Mother of Heaven. Uh, and I think at first she sounds a little bit shrill with the the part that they wrote for Princess Iron Fan. Uh, Mm-hmm. But then when it gets into that double time section towards the outro, she starts to sound kind of chill. I think I think she's like a, sounding pretty badass by the end of this one. And like Guan Yin is back there too doing this kind of like, you know, wavy, goddessy thing. There's a lot happening here. You've got a lot happening. It's a, it's a real it's a real climax. You've got her servants doing that dun, 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 that that piece behind it too. It's it's, it's a there's there's quite a bit on the plate here. It doesn't. It's not a top three for me. Like I, I think that it's more interesting than it is like successful as a song. Um, but but you know, kudos, kudos, definitely for for the for the for taking a huge huge swing at a at a. That's about where I fall in it too. These last two songs are um, considerably longer than the rest of the tracks on the album too. This one's five minutes, and the next one even reaches six minutes. That's true. It's the closer That's true. disappearing volcano. Right, so here's where they arrive in paradise. They've they've grabbed the scriptures and they they receive all of their heavenly rewards. Um, I can't remember all of them. I know that monkey becomes the Buddha of strife, or the Buddha through strife, or something. Uh, and then I think Pigsy becomes a janitor of some altar. That's kind of shitty. Sure, uh, but I mean, hey, 
It's better than getting hit by a rod 800 times. I don't remember what Sandy does. He doesn't get an army again. He's something else. And then Tripitaka, he becomes like super enlightened or something. This is very, this song's very impressionistic. It's, uh, it's like very stringy and, and slow. And it makes me wish I had a visual to go along with it. Because honestly, like Monkey Bee is so dense and then this is so not dense, you know? Like there's not, there's not a ton happening in this closing number. I, I really like the very end though, when all the music kind of stops and we're left just with the vocals. Oh, that thing! Oh, I gotta, I gotta tell you a story about that. That's the, that's sure. the post-credit scenes of the album. You remember that field recording that started the record? Yes. This is another field recording. This was recorded in uh, Meow Village, outside of this, outside of Phoenix City, uh, at at eight o'clock in the morning, and they're singing a prayer. Uh, you can hear the rooster crowing also in that village. And uh, and I believe they're singing a prayer that's about this legend also. Um, and I think that this recording was during Damon's big China trip, the the train ride back from which uh, would, of course, set us off onto the, the Demon Days journey. This actually, huh. this little piece of field music, I think is, with all that context, maybe one of the most powerful pieces uh, of music on the whole record. Um, yeah, it's crazy that we have an actual little document of that journey. Kind of, kind of awesome, and and very, very lovely. Yeah. Very lovely. It kind of makes you realize that really you should maybe get a Chinese composer to compose these things because they know how to work at yeah. a pentatonic scale, and they can maybe do something. Maybe get Jamie Hewlett to to draw some pictures for your opera, and then let Damon Albarn write some music in the Western scales that he understands. But uh, you know. Hindsight's twenty twenty here, Trevor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's and that's Monkey Journey to the and West. I'm glad we have it. I I think that I, me too. You know, I was really dreading this episode, but that was really quite painless, wasn't it? Was it? and and he yeah. I think Damon got a little bit in the weeds at times, but he pulled out some gems too. Yeah, and you know, if you're if you like me going into this, where are feeling at a, at all intimidated by this album or anything like, oh, it's in a different language. It's not really traditional music. It's very impenetrable and inaccessible. Really, just like sit down with it and give it a shot because it is kind of a little more straightforward than you might expect, and it's got some really nice moments on it. I made a little playlist this week called Journey If You Ain't Got Time for the Whole Thing. Um, great, great, and a bridge to Journey to the West. I've also resequenced it so it maybe flows a little bit better. So You know so, I'm all about that shit. So Okay, here we go. Are you ready? We're going to open with I Love Buddha, uh, then Monkey's World after that, uh, then Whisper, then Heavenly Peach Banquet, then Monkey Bee, then Pigsy in Space, and then we finish with the Living Sea. Give that a shot. If you're if you're a phobic of Journey, I think that you'll find that's that like to be a, a very painful it's, like it's not quite a Journey to the West, but it's like a little a little jaunt down a few blocks. So yeah, Damon Auburn, Jamie Hewlett, Gorillas? Question mark Monkey. <laughs> I, I, this might actually be the most money Damon Albarn's ever lost for somebody. Do you think? Oh, uh, maybe. I mean, Plastic Beach has got to have been. I mean, but staging it, staging a, a. Didn't that kill EMI? Didn't EMI like stop being a thing after Plastic Beach? Isn't that how it happened? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but I don't know if it, I don't know if it was actually because of Plastic Beach, but that is how we like to think of it. Uh, I, I had some. I have. I have like some more questions about that whole like, is this gorillas thing though? Like, because I mean, is there a world in which Damon and Jamie were hoping to put this out as a gorillas record to kind of like hurry along their contract with EMI? Oh, like, you know, question. maybe they owed them a couple albums and they wanted to like get one in the can. That's a good question. I I wonder. Like, part of it feels like 
in a post feel good ink world they had just hella bargaining power um right and this that and calling it girls would have been a big way of marketing this project it would have and i think it would have made a lot of people very upset <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think it would have... how do you think how do you think that would have affected the future of the gorillas project if this had been gorillas presents monkey it might have added a, it might have it might have added another year to the gap between phases 2 and 3 to be honest it, like mm. i think that the boys get their spirits crushed a little bit and uh it's very expensive trevor to stage an opera to stage a full production musical. Um, and I mean, there's no way they even close to recouped anything between the sales of this album and the, and the, the handful of performances of the opera. So I, I don't know how they feel about this project uh, today. It, you know what, what I was thinking, Trevor is, wouldn't it be sick if they dusted some of this off for the tour? Like, wouldn't it be sick? Oh man. If they played like heavenly peach banquet or something. Uh, yeah. Or like open an encore with like, uh, with monkeys world. That'd be sick. That'd be sick. That'd be pretty wild. That'd be pretty wild. I'm sure a lot of people would have no idea what's going on. I mean, some, some people would cheer very hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'd love to know. You don't hear them talk about this much anymore. Hang on. Hang on. Did you say some people would cheer very hard? Because I can't see that happening. Maybe like, okay, so like they, they break into maybe like Heavenly Peach Banquet. The GA section just goes completely silent, <laughs> baffled. There's one guy going like, fuck yeah. Like, I just don't see it happening. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we, you know what? Monkey Journey to the West has kind of kicked off what I'm going to call the the uneven footing second half of the collaborator season, Trevor. We started off with three albums that I think you and I were were very intimately familiar with. Um, right. I mean, timeless classics. You got Deltron 3030, you got Danger Doom, and you got The Good, The Bad, and The Queen. And now we're moving into three that maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit tougher to wrap our heads around because mm. I... We just we had monkey, and next week we're going to talk about the bravest man in the universe, aka Bobby Womack. Yeah, so this is the Bobby Womack album from 2012 that Damon Albarn exec produced with um with uh, Russell Brand, uh, Richard Russell, Richard Russell, Richard Russell, uh, right? Uh, yeah, that guy. And uh, I, I guess, I guess, following the format of producer of that phase's gorillas album plus featured our artist of that gorillas album that we saw with with danger doom and before that with deltron this is the third in that lineage i guess is it yeah it's almost like damon was like hey dan was our producer and he did he did an album with with <laughs> dell danger mouse was our producer for the next one he did an album with mf doom the producer for this one is it's me. I guess I got to make an album with Bobby Womack. Yeah. Oh, wow. I've got to make an album with Bobby Womack. Not like that's something I've always wanted to do my entire life. But we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Here's the thing, Trevor. I've never heard a second of this record before. So this is the first for Hallelujah Monkeys. I'm going to go into some material totally fresh. I heard the single when it came out. But I cannot remember it, and I don't think I've heard any of the other songs. I I remember the cover with the thumbs. I remember I remember reviews of this thing being unusually harsh for a grand return of a legacy act, which usually critics are like pretty easy on. And if anything, he's just an old man. Leave him alone. I, well, by this point, also he was he was pretty well into the progression of his Alzheimer's. I don't know if he had come forward yet, but I mean, those around him all knew that he was that he was. Uh, you know, not necessarily at, at peak Womack, but uh, 
I'm going to try to bring none of that baggage into my my first listen of the Bravest Man in the Universe, and then we'll all check in next next week to figure out what we think about it. Can't wait till then. But uh, how about for now, you tell everybody where they can find us on the internet. Absolutely. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Amino and on Tumblr, and you can send us an email to hallelujahmonkeys at gmail.com, and you can leave us a review on iTunes, and you can join our Discord at discord.me slash monkeys with a Z. Uh, big shout out to Stewpot, who runs our, our YouTube page, who is the best. We love her. And uh, also, uh, big shout out to those of you who have continued to, to donate to this show through patreon.com slash hallelujah monkeys you guys are absolutely the best also don't forget as usual stick around until after the credits uh because uh, we got a brand new song from gorillas versus log house this one is called leashes hmm. Ooh. what do you, what do you mm, make intriguing. of that what do you make of that log is just consistently turning in the best remixes of the phase in my opinion this one's pretty this one's cool sick and log continue continually turns in I think the best remixes of the Gorillas versus Logos project in this phase too. Yeah, so so let's let's uh, let's sign off so we can get to that. Um, that's all we've got time for this week. As always, I've been Trevor Ickrath. I've been Dylan Flynn. And until next week, don't get lost in heaven. The Mandarin word for demo. <laughs> <laughs>